This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tusick. On today's episode, I speak with Mike Peterson. He is in charge of the Bitcoin Beach down in Elizante, uh, El Salvador. Uh, if you don't know what Bitcoin Beach is, um, they basically have made it a circular economy down there. Um, and it's really helping lift people out of poverty. And so we get into that with Mike. We talked about, you know, um, how they were able to implement it um, and, and how it's helping people improve their lives. Um, and also, you know, uh, we also got uh, Mike made me a little misty eyed as, as well, because, uh, you know, it's just really um, heartwarming to hear, you know, how much Bitcoin is helping the people down in uh, El Salvador. And hopefully that can be replicated around the world. Um, so, yeah, hope you enjoy the show. If you want to reach out to me, uh, email is Bitcoin made simple podcast at gmail.com and on Twitter at Bitcoin simply. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. So, yeah, so you're back in L.A. right now. Uh, yeah, California. San Diego area. So okay, San Diego come area. Back and take care of a few things for a couple of weeks, and then I'll be be back down there. So what a shame! Uh, it, it's a you know terrible place to go, San Diego. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a horrible place. Horrible place. Uh, I have a friend that lives there. You know, he moved there from Pittsburgh, and then um, and then he came back to Pittsburgh for like six months, and then it got to winter time. He was like, nope. And he just went back. He was like, I, I, I can't do this. I'm going back to San Diego. It's just yeah, gorgeous. It does make time. it a little challenging, though, uh, to, to move or do anything else in life because you get a little spoiled. I, I grew up here and I went to college in Santa Barbara. And I'd say Santa Barbara is even nicer than, than San Diego. So anywhere else in the world is uh, is kind of tough to compare. But um, actually, El Salvador and El Zante is one of the few places that, that I actually like the weather and the environment more than, than San Diego. So. Nice, nice. So, well, Mike, thanks for coming on. Do you, is it Mike or Michael? I've heard Doesn't both. So. Okay. Uh, well, I, re- I appreciate you coming on and, you know, talking about Bitcoin Beach and everything. Um, I'm a big beach person and I obviously love Bitcoin. So whenever I found Bitcoin Beach, I was like, oh, my God, I got to go there as soon as this pandemic's over. Um, so how did the, you know, whole the whole process started? I mean, I've kind of heard you, you know, I'm sure anybody that's listening has heard you talk about you know the anonymous um you know donor that that gave you money or gave you bitcoin to start a circular economy but i want to kind of get into like you know your vision of bitcoin and what got you into bitcoin um you know and is that what you kind of see playing out like your your vision for bitcoin is what you're doing in in bitcoin beach sure so initially i came into bitcoin more from the um economic systems and monetary policy side. Uh, I was an economics major and I've always been kind of fascinated about, um, you know, the the different economic systems that are out there and why some seem to generate wealth and prosperity and health and and others seem to kind of keep people locked in cycles of poverty. And I also have, you know, a, a libertarian bent and have some concerns that um, you know, you look historically and it seems like as societies age, they tend to become more bureaucratic and it tends to cause more issues over time. And then they often implode and the cycle starts over again. And so we're getting a little long in the tooth here in the U.S. And so um, when I heard about Bitcoin and kind of the um, way it divorces money and control of money from the state, I was, you know, very fascinated by that and, you know, followed it from very early times. I don't know, 2011, 2012, I don't remember exactly. Um, I'm definitely not a tech person. And so my early endeavors to try to buy Bitcoin, I was uh, rebuffed and realized I had no idea even how to, <laughs> yeah, how, to, how, to... how to buy it, how to hold it, any of that. And so, so I just kind of kept keeping an eye on it. And, you know, obviously the technology has come along and, mm. you know, for, for uh, neophytes like like me that uh, you know can't can't figure basic tech stuff out, it's pretty easy now. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of the more historic, um, you know, how I got coming from into that it. angle of yeah. And then also um, having been living in El Salvador for a number of years and working in the community there, I also realized just how um, 
segmented the financial system is in the world and how many people just don't have the ability to send money from one person to another. They don't have access to bank accounts. They don't have all the payment rails that we kind of take for granted in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I found even in El Salvador, like when we were trying to buy a car or buy property, it was this major hurdle just to get money into the country. And a lot of times the easiest way was to just visit the ATM like every day for a month and try to you know accumulate enough cash out of my accounts in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It was actually faster and cheaper than, than trying to get it down in some other means. And so, you know, seeing that there's a system out there that kind of bypasses all that and allows me now I could send, you know, $100,000 in value, you know, in Bitcoin to somebody in, you know, anywhere in the world in Argentina and buy a property there where five years ago, you know, when, when Bitcoin was less accepted, you, you just couldn't do that. And to try to mm-hmm. get money into the banking system there might take you months. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of where I came into it and just seeing how the wealthy tend to benefit the most from the status quo and from the existing banking structure. Yep. And the poor yep. pay the highest fees, um, both percentage-wise, but also in like real dollar terms. I mean, they might spend $10 for a transaction where for me, I can do it for free or a lot of times I'll get points back or some other, Mm -hmm. um, you know, actually better than free type advantage where, you know, 90% of the people in the world don't have that. And so for them to be able to exist on the same playing field as the rest of us, to be able to send stuff over the lightning network basically for free, for them, you know, not to have... Uh, institutions be able to tell them that they're not qualified to have an account and for them also be able to hold their currency, you know, hold their wealth in a currency that's appreciating over time versus depreciating. Mm -hmm. It really levels the playing field for the poor. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's one of those things that outside of the U S and probably a lot of the, you know, you know, developed countries um, you don't realize how difficult that is to get payment um, or, or make payments. Um, you know, just an example that I, the first kind of time I really came across it was, uh, there was a movie that, that we, um, were distributing in, uh, it's a Pakistani film and, uh, it's like, it's literally going to be the biggest movie in the history of Pakistan. Um, and, and it's this, I mean, it, it COVID the, you know, shutting down theaters is basically why it's not out now, but we were exploring digital options and Netflix was really interested, but Netflix does not have the ability to get people to Pakistan to pay for Netflix. So that's why it's not there. It's not that there's a lack of demand or anything. It's you have to, I think they, I think they have to pay through their mobile service or something like that. And I don't know if that is, that's like something like similar down in like El Salvador and other countries like that, that you've seen, like where I think they have to like preload money on, they have to go to their mobile store preload money onto their cell phone plan and then pay for subscriptions through their cell phone plan and it's like really archaic is that similar to el salvador is it yeah there's, I, mean, I think you see kind of workarounds like that in a lot of the developing world where people will trade phone credits or they'll actually be able to transact through the phone companies will have some kind of rudimentary financial system um, kind of built in or they'll kind of bypass the system altogether and trade in Amazon gift cards or things like that, mm. that they can, can send online. Uh, there is in El Salvador, um, there's not a big kind of mobile to mobile and there's definitely not a peer to peer kind of network yet. Although there's a, a number of promising FinTechs that are kind of indigenous to El Salvador that are springing up. But right now, uh, people who have bank accounts do have some access to mobile banking. They can pay their bills online. They can do those type of things. But, you know, for probably 80% of the people, that's not an option for them. And so what Bitcoin does, it allows everybody to have that option to opt into the mobile system. Um, right now, we're working on rolling out kind of community, community-wide Wi-Fi in one of our communities. And one of the challenges in working with the internet provider they've said they've had is the majority of the people don't have bank accounts. And so for them to collect payment is super difficult and and expensive for them to have a physical location where people can come paying cash. It's inconvenient and it it costs money. You got to have a location, you got to have a person staffing it. 
And so we're going to adapt that so that they'll be able to pay in lightning. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's a whole new world for them. Instead of them having to take the bus somewhere and wait in line to pay in person, now they can just transact right from their wallet and send a lightning payment in, you know, five seconds and it's done. So it's, it's that's really so utilizing things. Yeah. That's really exciting. Like that just makes me like, you know, I'm really excited to see what's going to come out of that, you know, with, um, cause like I can remember whenever I was, when the internet came on, you know, and it was like opened up this world of like, Whoa, you know, like there's all this knowledge, there's all this stuff that you can get. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's going to level the playing field. Um, so down there, you so you guys have strike enabled down there. And I saw Jack Mallers was down there with you guys um, over the last couple of weeks. So was there some developments there that you guys were implementing some new things? I mean, it's been working there for a while, right? So strike has just been opened up to, to users in El Salvador uh, just in the last two weeks, we were doing some beta tests with some people we had um, that we had whitelisted to, you know, kind of be trials, but, for strike El Salvador is actually the first place outside of the U S that they've launched. And awesome. so the reason we're excited about that um, working with strike on this is for remittances. Um, El the El Salvadorian economy is very dependent on remittances. Uh, unfortunately, we hope over time that will change as, as the Bitcoin kind of takes hold in El Salvador and makes it a productive environment for companies to move to. But for now, the, the economy is very dependent on money coming back from people working in the U.S. or in Europe. And a large portion of those funds that are sent are kind of siphoned away in, in fees and other inefficiencies in the system. And so what we're excited about with Strike is that now somebody can send $10 to their mom, you know, in El Salvador from Los Angeles, you know, from their own living room. They can just open up their strike app and it's already connected to their bank account and they send $10 down in lightning over the, the Bitcoin uh, rails and the, their mom in El Zante receives it as Bitcoin and then can go down to the store and, and buy milk or tortillas or whatever she needs, you know, and all mm -hmm. that can happen in five minutes instead of it taking, you know, five days for her to wait for those funds to get there. So with Strike, it really, I really think they are going to be a disruptive um, company and technology that's going to kind of up in this antiquated remittance system that's, you know, is responsible for billions, hundreds of billions of dollars moving around the world right now. I think this whole system is going to be upended. Yeah. And like you said, the system makes the poor poorer and the, the rich richer. Um, and I think I've heard Jack Mallers talk about, you know, I don't know if he was talking about El Salvador in particular, um, but like the dangers of just going to Western Union and like gangs sitting outside and, you know, basically saying like, hey, you know, either give us, you know, 10 percent or we're going to rough you up. Um, that eliminates that. There's yeah, that I, I mean, I think <laughs> I think that's a little bit exaggerated, but but there's definitely danger anytime you're carrying large amounts of cash or, you know, something on the bus and those anywhere. Sorts of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whether you're in the U.S. or, or El Salvador or anywhere, it's, you know, nobody recommends that you, you know, stick three thousand dollars in your pocket and then get on the public bus, you know, anywhere. So I, it's definitely a concern. Yeah. Except for the only pe person that didn't I was in a in a Panera bathroom and with my son and I come walking out and there's this guy like taking pictures with like stacks of cash I was like I don't know if it was like in the back of his rap video but I'm like why is he doing like a video or like I don't know why that was in a bathroom that had to happen but it was bizarre and he apparently <laughs> didn't think it was a big deal um but yeah the um it, well one thing I'm curious about too because you know whenever I hear like you know they're like somebody sending money to their mother in El Zante and you know, my initial thought before thinking about Bitcoin being a circular economy there is like, okay, well, now you have to educate the mother on how to transfer that Bitcoin into local currency and all those different steps. Um, so what's it like with the circular economy there where, I mean, like you said, she can just go and use it. She doesn't yeah, have no, to transfer that's, that's the great thing. We've, we've worked with a, a lightning wallet company called uh, Galois Money, and they have developed a, a really easy to use, um, you know, 
anybody can use it from a three-year-old to a 93-year-old uh, lightning wallet that basically all the complexities of lightning is, is happens behind the scenes. And so they're able to actually just with a username, send money to a store. They can also tap on an icon in the map that shows the locations of all the, the businesses that are accepting Bitcoin and they can send it right from in the map. Um, for the store's perspective, it happens much quicker than, than cash because they don't have to create a, a lightning invoice as long as they're both using the same wallet. If, if, if somebody's using a different wallet, which is fine, we, we encourage many wallets to be used, then they just create a lightning invoice. But for the majority of the people in town, it's easier just to use this system where they can, you know, everybody can send based on usernames. And so um, it happens quicker than cash. They don't have to worry about having change. They don't have to worry about having, you know, cash that at night at the end of the day. And so it's, it's really kind of taken that whole chicken and the egg thing um, away because now there's no longer really a need to, for most people to convert to the US dollar. Uh, and of course there will always be some things that they need to be able to do that for, but those things become less and less. Um, we just recently developed a partnership with a payments network called Punta Express. And through that, now people can pay their electricity bill, they can pay their kids college tuition, they can pay their car insurance, they can pay, you know, pretty much anything, their credit card bills. And so the need to go to the dollar just becomes less and less the further this project goes on. And we're only a year and a half in. So it's pretty remarkable how quickly uh, the need to go to the dollar has gone away. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there will always be some times where people need to do that. And we have a partnership with Athena Bitcoin. They have a, a Bitcoin ATM in the community that people use. And there's also a ton of people that come out of the capital city that want to buy Bitcoin. And there's no great way for them to do it in El Salvador right now. So there's a lot of peer to peer that happens face to face with, you know, doctors or lawyers or other professionals that want to start stacking sats. And so they'll come and start buying from the people that are earning sats, but need to convert part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there was the, there's a big debate in the Bitcoin community, you know, of, you know, is Bitcoin a currency or is it a store of value? Um, and, you know, there's a multitude of reasons why, you know, you can argue either side. Um, where, where do you, I think I have an idea, feeling where you probably land, land on that side, what side you land on with that. But what do you see as Bitcoin versus, a, you know, currency versus a store of value with what are you seeing firsthand down in El Salvador? I, I think it's both. I really don't understand the kind of either or mentality that we see a lot in the, the Bitcoin world. I, I would understand it more if we didn't have second layer protocols like Lightning and I know a lot of people are still kind of unfamiliar with Lightning or haven't tried to use it recently. Maybe they tried it in the early days when it was still you know, extremely challenging to use and they kind of gave up on it. But with the Lightning Network now, you have a currency that's easier to use than dollars. It moves faster. You don't have any of the... Um, any of the downsides of using dollars, of needing to have change, of needing to store it, of, of only being able to use it in one particular type of wallet, like if you're using like a PayPal or something like that, um, you can now use Lightning that can be used in, you know, dozens of different wallets, um, transacted faster than anything. But the key is you're also holding all your wealth in a currency that's appreciating over time. So in this day and age, I don't understand why anybody would want to hold any of their wealth in dollars. I mean, yeah. I, I want to have everything that I can in Bitcoin. So the fact that I can spend that Bitcoin when I need to is a huge value add. And it also makes you kind of really think long and hard about how you're spending money. Because when you're spending a precious resource like Bitcoin, you're going to be much more careful of how you're using it than if you're spending dollars. And so my, uh, my response to the people that say, oh, you shouldn't spend your Bitcoin is, why do you have any dollars? Why don't you just have it all in Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting like dangerously close to that where like I'm just, I'm basically putting like everything except for what I need in like the foreseeable future in Bitcoin because um, 
I'm, uh, yeah, it was funny. Even my brother, my future brother-in-law's bachelor party was this weekend. We were in a casino and I was saying they're playing blackjack and like holding the chips. And I was like, I started thinking about what it was worth in Bitcoin. And I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Cause it's so much easier to spend it if it's, you know, if it's cash. Um, so that's fascinating. Yeah. And I agree with you because once people, I think I was just a store of value person and didn't see, you know, I was like, okay, there's going to be a lot of work to make this a payment system. Um, and once I wrap my head around lightning, which I still don't, you know, I'm nowhere near, you know, fully understanding it and, and uh, all the developments that's whenever I, I saw, um, and, you know, something that could be possible for payments and, and I uh, was really excited to see that, you know, they were, you guys were growing it down in El Salvador. What's the uh, penetration like in, in El Zante right now? How many people or you know, percentage of people are using Bitcoin in the circular economy? I would say probably 90% of the families there are using Bitcoin. Now, that may be, you know, just the head of the household of a family of six, or that may be three people within the family, depending on how many people have smartphones in the family. But mm -hmm. I would say the definitely the vast, vast majority of, of families there are using it, um, you know, in some fashion. For some, it might only be, you know, more as a savings vehicle, but for probably at least half of them, it's how they transact daily life. And so like, like you were mentioned before on the, the spending versus store of value aspect, we've seen a huge sea change just in the culture of savings in El Zante, where before there wasn't really a savings culture. It was more of a spending culture. You kind of, as soon as you got money, you spent it, which is understandable because most people are living kind of hand to mouth and, and, you know, the average salary is three to $400 a month. And so for many of them, it was challenging to save, but we've found when they start earning in Bitcoin and saving in Bitcoin, they find a way to save because they're just much more careful about how they use their money because they think, you know, they realize, Hey, if I spend this on this kind of eating out tonight, this $5, like it could be worth $20, you know, a year from now. And so I'd rather kind of eat simpler tonight and save this money for the future. And so we think because of that, you're going to see just a huge increase in the asset base that they have to, to open businesses, to buy properties, all those sorts of things. And that's how you break a cycle of poverty. Yeah, I, I think that that is going to be, and I'm sure this is what your hope is, is to make this the basically case study for the rest of the underdeveloped world is that you know somebody had asked a question of you know are you guys developing or is there going to be a playbook like michael saylor's playbook for for uh you know for the ceos to be able to convert their treasuries to bitcoin um do you think there'd ever be like a a citadel or circular economy playbook that you guys uh can show to you know other communities around the world um, whether it be a bunch of plebs in the middle of Iowa that want to, you know, start their own citadel or, or somebody in, you know, uh, you know, Africa or, you know, South America, you know, you name it. Yeah, no, we're, we're definitely an open book. We're, we're working with a, a project in Peru right now that that's kind of trying to replicate what we're doing at Bitcoin beach. We're in talks with some people that, that operate with uh, Venezuelan refugees kind of on the border with Colombia and, we, we do need to kind of sit down and document more stuff and kind of make it easier to pass on. I mean, a lot of this has just been, we, we're learning as we go. And so I definitely wouldn't say that we're experts or that we you know have it all dialed in. Um, one of the things that has really allowed us to kind of push the limits and do these things has, has been having, you know, some donor money behind it that's been willing to be patient and kind of build these long-term things. And I think just kind of like any startup company or any type of startup in the initial um, stages, you're, you're going to have some burn that you're going to have to go through. You're going to have to have some funds that you ingest in. Um, but our long-term vision is, you know, hopefully after three to four years, that won't be needed anymore. And that it'll, it'll have developed to a significant level where it kind of just feeds on itself. And so that's why right now we're focused on bringing in Bitcoin related jobs. Uh, Strike has actually hired a number of people within the community. Uh, we're working with uh, another um, company in the crypto space uh, in Given. 
and even some other people outside the, um, the Bitcoin space that want to hire employees that understand Bitcoin and be able to pay them in Bitcoin, but have them do other technical things. And so that's kind of our long-term goal. And so we definitely are open with anybody, but I feel like we're, we're maybe uh, one-tenth along the way to, wh to where we need to be. So I, I think it would be a little presumptuous for us to, you know, say we have a playbook at this point, but we're, we're definitely willing to share, you know, what we've learned, what we've done wrong, what we've seen the work with, with anybody who's interested. Mm -hmm. And where at in uh, Peru did you, um, is it a specific town in Peru or? So, so it's, uh, um, it's an organization that has operations in both Lima and Cusco. And so, um, and, and they've been doing some initial things uh, more with kind of relief aid, but they're trying to move in the same direction as us where people are being paid in Bitcoin, where you're creating kind of more of a sustainable economy where people are earning Bitcoin and then spending Bitcoin at the local stores and, and it going in that route. But they're, right now they're in the early stages of just trying to seed that. Mm-hmm. That's what, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, there's a Chimbote, uh, Peru. Um, it, uh, my, my dad went on a mission trip there a handful of years ago and, uh, Pittsburgh has like a mission connection to Chimbote, Peru. But I mean, he just said it's, you know, like the people are the nicest people in the world, but he said, it's just, you can't even describe the po poverty that they're living in. Um, you know, to the point where they're basically like squatting on land and just hoping to live there and they, they erect you know like a very you know very thin walls and you know it's just it's it's hard to imagine from us in the united states seeing like how people live that way and it's you know hopefully that's something that can flip there um and yeah we've, um, i mean we've seen that in el salvador it's a similar environment you have people that are living in you know 10 shacks with a dirt floor but just by them having access to a network that they can save in and an appreciating currency for them to be um, also just the hope that that Bitcoin can bring, that there is but life can get better. saving and looking forward. Um, it encourages them to get more education. It encourages them to be forward thinking about things. And we've seen people in the short time we've been up and operating, we've seen dozens of people kind of work their way out of poverty. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so uh, one of the people asked about, you know, and they're not familiar with El Salvador, so it could sound really ignorant. And, and you did reply on the on the tweet. But um, what's the, you know, safety like there? I mean, is it like any I've never been to El Salvador, so I don't, you know, know what to compare it to. Um, but I mean, I will always tell people that it's dangerous to be in London or France, you know, or the United States, uh, you know, it's, it's dangerous everywhere, but, you know, I'm sure people were fearful of that. So is, you know, say what's safety like there and, you know, what's the town like for visiting? Sure. So, so safety is always kind of a, a question people ask us about. Um, El Salvador does have some, um, a violent history and, and, you know, they went through a civil war um, just a few decades ago, and coming out of the civil war, the, the gangs really took power there, and you had a really big gang presence. And for, for a number of years, El Salvador had the highest murder rate in the world. Um, but it's, it's unique, and even during that time, we've, we've been there for 16 years, so we've, we've lived through a lot of that. And as foreigners, you face very little danger. I mean, unfortunately for the, for the local people, historically it's, it's been a different situation, but we've seen even that really change in the last couple of years. The, the gang violence has gone down significantly and it's becoming less and less a problem. Uh, the current governmental administration is doing a good job with that and they're they're pushing economic opportunity and we're hoping that they'll uh, adopt Bitcoin and use that to, to be something that, that opens their economy even further. Um, but really for foreigners, you face almost zero, um, zero risk. I mean, we, I haven't known a single foreigner in the 16 years we've been down there that's, you know, had anything happen to them. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe somebody got their phone stolen that they left on the beach and walked away from or something like that, that, you know, mm -hmm. same thing that would happen in California. Oh yeah. But, 
as far as like risks, you know, I raised my kids there. I, I now have a 16 year old and a 14 year old and uh, so they've spent yeah. their whole lives there. Yeah. So it's, um, I, I think the risk thing, I understand that people just read the news, that's what they get. But literally once people get to El Zante, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was worried at all. Like that's the last thing on their mind. Uh, the town of El Zante is just an amazing, beautiful beach surf town, um, has an amazing mix of, of cultures. You have a, a lot of foreign tourists. You have a lot of um, tourists, Salvadoran tourists that come in out of the capital city. And then you have the, the local population that they mix in a unique way that you don't see in a lot of places. A lot of places where expats tend to, to gather, it becomes kind of like an expat ghetto and you have like them living in one place and the locals living in another place. Um, mm -hmm. You have a lot less of that in El Zante. You have a real kind of fluid mix within the community. The people are super hardworking, uh, super friendly. There's tons of people that come through and just plan on staying like a night or two. And, you know, two years later, they're still living in El Zante. It's just one of those kind of magical places. Yeah, that's also the it's like the original Citadel and then you inject Bitcoin into it and it can change everything. Um, Definitely. What I'm curious, you know, with um, one of the things I always hate about, you know, poverty and, and, you know, the hopelessness and something that we've really seen during the COVID pandemic of, you know, just, you know, driving depression and, and you know, making people feel hopeless because it's, you know, it's not. I mean, you can be depressed about a lot of things, but I always say when you take the, you take, you take hope out, um, you know, that's what really, you feel like you have nothing and that can really drive depression. So I'm curious, have you seen, has there been like a mental health change just in general? I mean, I'm, I know you're not a like therapist, you know, and keeping track, but is it, is, is it getting better, you know, just from having Bitcoin and people having hope and, you know, seeing a chance to prosper? Yeah, I mean, definitely we believe Bitcoin plays a big role in that. I mean, we were kind of focused on, on a number of different roles. Like we, we are a Christian organization at, at heart. And so we kind of focus on um, the spiritual life of people also along with the, the economic lives. And so we see kind of those two together, them really feeling like there's a hope in the future that they don't have to leave to the U.S., um, a lot of them have come out of broken homes because their, their parents or their father had to leave to go to the U.S. Um, a lot of times when that happens, they meet somebody else in the U.S. and the families wind up fracturing. And so something the, the father originally did to try to, to benefit the family uh, winds up causing long-term kind of breakup. Mm -hmm. And you see kind of the spiral effect of that where then the kids join the gang because the dad's not there and they feel like there's no economic opportunity for them or they eventually leave for the U.S. also and kind of repeat that cycle. And so what we see with Bitcoin is for the first time ever, they feel like they are leading the charge, that they're leading the world in this new technology, that they're learning skills that, they'll, that other people in the world want to come to them and learn from. Um, they're no longer thinking about sneaking into the U.S. illegally and, and getting some dead-end job. They're thinking about how can they work for Strike or one of these other leading-edge kind of internet um, or Bitcoin operations that are, that are looking to move to El Zante now. And so that's something that we definitely underestimated. We didn't realize the impact of hope like you're, like you're talking about. Um, I think we underappreciated just how big of a driver and a motivator that is in life. And that before a lot of people had just kind of given up or had just kind of, you know, thought, well, this is my lot in life. And so I'm not going to try to achieve anymore. And now we're seeing them, we're seeing this kind of community spirit where they want to be giving back to the community. They want to be serving as mentors for the kids that are younger than them. Um, they want to be, acquiring job skills, English, computer skills, all these different things that there was just no motivation for that before. And, and really that comes from them feeling like Bitcoin offers them a way out of the traditional kind of cycle of just leaving for the U S and working in a dead end job. Yeah. So in a, in a way, you know, Bitcoin starts with making your time horizon, your time preference, you know, 
lengthen and you look into the future and then that kind of spills out. It sounds like it's spilling over into like the rest of their lives. Definitely. I mean, we're seeing, I would say that the, the rate that people are joining the gangs is like 10% of what it was even two years ago. Um, wow. We're able to catch those youth, those kind of vulnerable times. And now they feel like, before I was like, well, why not join the gang? I don't have any other route. I can make some money. People will respect me if I, if I join the gang. Now they feel like, no, I want to learn English. I want to go on to university. I want to work for one of these Bitcoin related companies um, with a good paying job where I can make twice as much as my parents could ever make. Um, I can be working in a, a environment that's not hard on my body, like digging in a field all day. Um, they can provide for their kids and not have to leave and spend, you know, decades away from their kids while they're growing up just to support them. And so we're seeing kind of across the board, we're seeing people for the first time in their lives kind of commit to, to marriage and marrying and creating kind of more nuclear families where in the past you just saw a lot of, um, you know, just single mothers and people growing up without their dads. And so we're, we're really seeing a transformation kind of across the spectrum. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Um, Sorry, I get I'm, a little emotional when I talk about it, but it's. No, it's no, I. That's been really awesome. cool to see. That's awesome. That's, I mean, you're like inspiring me right now to like, I mean, I literally am sitting here thinking, I'd already mentioned to you, I think about how, um, for the documentary I'm doing, I want to come down to to uh, to check out the community, but um, but just like hearing that, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, there's got to be a way that our company, our streaming platform, can, you know, like bring down equipment, teach kids how to, you know, create programs, and and start getting their creative side going, you know, and and letting them do that. And that's just like, I mean, I'm literally like, it's like leaping out of me. It's like one of the things my wife always goes like, I get like super excited and I'm like, all right, let's do this. We're going to do it. And, you know, but it's just like, ah, that that's awesome because, um, because we also then could, we'll talk about this afterwards. I don't want to make sure. a whole podcast about this idea, but I'm just like, oh man, there, cause then kids could start earning money. You know, that uh, growing up student, I mean, they could start earning money from it and, and just, you know, you change the world. I mean, you mentioned you know, it started as a Christian organization, um, you know, and that's, I mean, you know, obviously I said my dad did mission work and stuff. So, so I'm very in line with that, but like, you know, it's like that dropping the, the pebble in the water, you know, and the ripple effect that you just, you see um, go across the entire town and, and hopefully it can, it can go into the rest of the community. Um, is the government, what's the local government in, you know, the, the national, uh, you know, federal government and stuff, are they, you know, involved at all with it? Or is it just a straight organization that you're doing on your own and um, no government involvement? So we've, we've made a real effort to engage the, the government and we have partnered with them on, on some things in, in an unofficial kind of way. We're, we're not getting government support there, but we felt like it was very important that they knew kind of what our goals were and what we were about. And, you know, a lot of times Bitcoin comes with a lot of baggage. People, you know, think of buying drugs or money laundering or all these different things. And so we wanted to be very clear that, hey, this is a community impact uh, project. This is something to help lift people out of poverty, to give people on the, the lowest rungs of the, the economic ladder, the resources and the potential to, to better their lives. And so um, we've, We've actually had the um, Department of Education come down and visit our operations last week, and they want to look at how they can kind of replicate our community-based efforts. We have a, a central building where we have like our English classes and our computer, cl our, um, computer classes and all of those things uh, called Hope House. And so they came and toured Hope House, and they learned about the different programs that we're doing we have, along with the English and the computer classes, we have surf classes to get people kind of physically active and out there learning how to surf. We have a lifeguard program that we've rolled out along about a 50 mile stretch of the country where we have professional lifeguards now that are guarding the beaches um, that have probably been responsible for 
saving at least 50 lives at this point, people that probably would have died otherwise. Um, All these lifeguards are being paid in in Bitcoin. And so we've engaged with the, uh, we met with the Ministry of Tourism to talk about this program and how we can kind of build the tourism infrastructure there. And our goal is we've developed this lifeguard program and we're hoping the government will eventually absorb it. Um, You know, we can't fund it forever, but our idea is, hey, let's get things up and running and show how they can work and then invite partners in. Uh, we've also have met with the uh, government, with the president's um, economic minister and explained to her just the, the potential that El Salvador has if it really embraces Bitcoin. Um, El Salvador uses the US dollar, so they have nothing to be fearful of, of Bitcoin competing with their own currency. And if they were to adopt Bitcoin as an official currency alongside the dollar, they'd have tons of companies that would move in and bring high paying jobs. I and mean, we're already starting to see that happening, but if they really embraced it, you know, they could be the microsystems of, you know, of, of countries. And so, mm-hmm. um, or micro strategies, sorry, of, of countries. And so we're pushing on them right now to, to really consider embracing Bitcoin as an official currency. Um, we've also been working with their CIFCO, which is their kind of trade arm of the government. And they want to plan on doing a um, Bitcoin and crypto focused trade show in El Salvador in the next year and kind of highlight what's happening in the region. And so we feel very positive on the government side that, that they'll be great partners longer term. Yeah, that's you know, that's something I've been thinking for a while of getting, you know, if, if I'm one of those countries that, you know, wants to establish itself in the world economy and, and, you know, raise its level as far as a world power, I'd be all in adopting Bitcoin. Um, I think, was there a tweet that you just shared or something about, or liked or something about uh, somebody who's going to be the first country that, you know, becomes fully adopting, or fully adopts Bitcoin as a standard. And, uh, and I think you pointed at El Salvador, like, come on, let's do this. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's, you know, definitely it's, it's a long shot, but we're, we're pushing on the government here for them to realize the opportunity that's in front of them. Um, you know, whoever's the first is going to hold that, you know, for the rest of history, they'll have the companies looking to move there. They'll hold that kind of title forever. And so who's going to be the first mover on that? And once one country goes, there'll be all kinds that will follow, but the advantage is going to go to the first mover. And we really think El Salvador is in, in position to be that first mover. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're, they've already have it there with you guys. They have the model to follow. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that is, as you, as that seed goes, I mean, suddenly, or what is it? Uh, what's the um, slowly then suddenly or whatever, where, all of a sudden, once one of them goes, it's going to be boom, 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 right down the line. Um, so what, uh, for, for countries like El Salvador, there's literally no downside. I mean, it's yeah. all upside. And so they're, they're not players right now in the, the tech space or the crypto space. But one, you know, one governmental decree could change that overnight. And so we're really hoping that they kind of see that opportunity that they have to to lead the world forward. I mean, we could really see a shift in, in the power dynamic in the world by countries that, that embrace Bitcoin. Oh, believe me. I mean, and, and it's, you know, you live in different parts of the world where the weather might not be so nice and you just sit there and see the pictures of Bitcoin beach, like, Oh, well, like I could live there and work there, take my company there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it could really shift things. Um, especially now as people are not tied to a physical location anymore, that they don't have to go into the office. And that's been one, something we've been, we've been talking to the, um, the tourism ministry in El Salvador about is, you know, just week long, you know, visits and that stuff might be tough for the next year or two, but there's this huge open market for people who want to leave for, you know, three months a year and get out of a horrible winter and come down to a place like El Zante and, and work remotely or even for a permanent relocation that, you know, why do I need to live in the U.S. anymore where I can move and and live on the beach at a much lower cost level and have this healthy lifestyle where I'm surfing in the morning, doing yoga at night and, you know, connected to everybody in the world during the day. You know, why why live in, in, 
the filth of San Francisco or the, you know, the craziness of New York when you could be in a place like El Zante. I know. I mean, I, I hear you a hundred percent there because the winters, you know, so like I grew up in, I'm in Pittsburgh, grew up in Pittsburgh, like always was okay with the winter. And then uh, the more time I've spent in like LA and warmer climates over the winter for, from a business perspective, it really hit me a couple of years ago. We were in LA for a while and we came back and like, I was freezing. Like I was more cold than I'd ever been before. And I'm notoriously like a person wearing shorts and, and it's snowing outside. And, um, and I was like freezing and it just, and now I look at the wind in every winter, the last couple of winters, I'm just looking at my wife, like, yeah, you know, you want to go somewhere real quick? Uh, you know, for maybe like, I don't know, from January 2nd until Easter. Uh, <laughs> cause, uh, you know, it, it looks nice down there. And I always make, I make the joke too, that, um, if everybody like the settlers, you know, they came in through New York, but if they had come in through a different port. Um, our map would look very different because um, I think that like the people that settled in Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, I love you. I love the people here and I love all the things, but the weather, I mean, they must've got here and settled in like May and been like, wow, this place is beautiful. And then they spent the whole summer building like a town. And then all of a sudden in like October, they're like, oh crap. Like this, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to stay. Cause it, if you got here in the winter, you wouldn't stay. Um, so, but you don't, you're in San Diego and El Zante, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, it can still get a little chilly in, in, in San Diego in the winter. <laughs> so that nice thing about El Zante is it's, it's always warm. It's always beach weather. And it's funny in El Zante, uh, you hear a, a bunch of uh, French being spoken kind of all over the town because the French Canadians, I mean, there's a big group of them that's kind of moved in and they they come every year. And so I always joke that I think Canadians only work like, you know, three months a year because <laughs> they they get out during the winter. So it's, uh, we've, we've already seen that happening. And I think with the changes in the work environment in the US, we're gonna see that on a much wider scale. I think, I think people are really underestimating the demographic kind of, switch and movement that we're going to see over the next couple of years as this remote work thing kind of filters through everything. Yeah. I've been wondering that for a long time and you see even like, you know, Anthony um, Pompliano moving from New York to Miami, you know, for it's like, you know, I don't even think he's really come out and said anything, but I'm sure being locked in, you know, your high rise in New York for months and, and you're like, you know what? Hey, Miami, it's nicer, nicer weather. They're embracing Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, my friends, my friend's dad, they live like half the year in Florida. And anytime I see him over the last year, I'm like, hey, how's it down there? And he's like, oh, it's great. I could actually go places, you know, like I actually do stuff. Um, what, what well, I, think it's, I, I think it's super exciting that Miami is kind of becoming the, the center of the, the Bitcoin space. And I think that has implications for Bitcoin in Latin America, because most Latin American um, companies have their headquarter headquarters in Miami just because it's the most convenient place. So a lot of them don't even have any U.S. operations, but that's still where their U.S. headquarters are. So they, they jokingly refer to Miami as the capital city of Latin America. So I think <laughs> with Bitcoin and that kind of connection, I think you're really going to see that growth in Latin America. Yeah, that's that's going to be I'm excited for that. Even I had a, a an actor producer friend who um, like right when the pandemic hit before they shut down everything, him and his wife left and went to Acapulco. And like he called me and I was talking to him. And I said, oh, you know, how's L.A.? And he was like, oh, we're no, we're in Acapulco. He's like, if we're going to be locked down, we're going, you know, going somewhere like that. Uh, what's the pandemic been like down in Elizante? You know, I mean, I'm. I know I've seen, you know, people I'm sure wear masks and everything, but is there a big difference to how it's being handled in the U.S.? There is. Initially, they had a, a very, um, very, very strong response. From, from my perspective, it was, was overboard. Um, but, you know, everybody has their own opinions on that. But they, they shut down their borders before they had even a single case. And they had a pretty draconian lockdown for a number of months. Um, but they did a better job of opening back up. They, they started opening back up in, in June, July, and it's kind of got progressively better. And so um, uh, 
Yeah, especially in El Zante, you hardly see any masks in El Zante. I mean, everybody's kind of out and about. A lot of people did get COVID there, but we didn't have any deaths. I think just them oh, wow. being out in the sun and, and being active and, and out and about. Um, they just seemed to recover a lot better where you saw a lot more deaths in, in the city where people were more locked inside. So it was kind of, it was interesting to kind of see the way it played out in the different locations. Um, and it actually seemed to hit the wealthier people harder, I think because they did lock down and they could afford to lock down and do all those things, which I think in the long term wound up being counterproductive. And so we've seen in El Zante people kind of, you wouldn't really realize that the pandemic's going on anymore. You know, the, obviously they still try to, to use you know, protocols in the restaurants and stuff like that. The, the servers will be wearing masks, but you know, you don't really see the guests or people walking around town wearing masks. And it's a, it's a pretty free environment right now. And you're not like the restaurants aren't at like 50% capacity or they're just no, fully open. No, but I mean, the, one of the things there is all the restaurants are outside anyways. And so, mm-hmm. you, you know, you don't have that kind of concern of, of eating indoors and the weather's so nice that, you know, you want to be outdoors. And so I think the environment and the climate just lends it to, to be in a better situation. And the people there are real survivors, you know, they've been through hardships in the past. And, and I think the longer this has played out, they've realized, hey, this is just another, you know, thing. It's not the end of the world. It's just another thing we have to kind of contend with, but life has to go on. We can't stop living. And so we've, we've seen them just kind of really embrace continuing on with life. That's awesome. I want to, <laughs> I wanted to go there for many reasons. Now I'm just sitting there thinking about eating dinner with my feet in the sand and, <laughs> you know, um, so uh, what's the population of El Zante? So El Zante has about 3000 people um, and it kind of swells on the weekends. They get, it's about an hour outside the capital city. And so you get a lot of people that come to the beach uh, just for the weekends um, a lot of the homes in the community are owned by people who live in, in the capital city. They're kind of more vacation homes. And so it kind of is a little bit quieter during the week and then gets a little busier on the weekends and then kind of their holiday weeks, which would be the week before Easter and, and around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the, so the weather you said is always nice. I mean, dead of winter, the summer doesn't get too hot or is it, is it, it's, it's perfect hammock weather. Uh, I'll say that, you know, if you're out, you know, digging in the yard or doing something like that, it can be a little warm. Um, you know, we, we use air conditioning, you know, pretty, pretty mm-hmm. regularly, uh, especially to sleep at night because it doesn't really cool off too much at night. And so it's, um, you know, for some people it might be a little on the warm side, but I, I would definitely take that over cold. Um, the, oh, yeah. the best, weather months they're kind of the beginning of the dry season which is from november through march kind of Mm -hmm. march april may get a little definitely get a little warm i mean it's still still beautiful but it gets a little warm and then the rainy season starts in kind of may june and it's um it could still be sunny during the day you'll get you know rain for a couple hours in the afternoon or a few hours at night um but it's it's really not a bad time there and um, and the water was a little warmer than like say if you're you know going in like the Jersey Shore or something like that. The water is perfect. It's it's between eighty and eighty five degrees uh, all year round. So it's it is the uh, so it's the perfect, the perfect water water, like where you can just walk right in and it doesn't affect you and you're just like. I'm good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you know, you know, all those kind of uh, ads you see for like perfume uh, things or different things like that, where somebody's like sitting at the water's edge and like, you know, the waves are just lapping up against them. I didn't think yeah. that happened in real life. I thought that was just for the photo shoots, but in places like El Salvador, like that's what people do. They don't sit on a towel at the beach. They just kind of sit right on the edge because the water's so comfortable that you have this kind of warm water, just kind of washing up, up and down, you know, with the waves. And and it's pretty surreal. That's, that's awesome. Um, And so you guys just had a big surf tournament or surf competition, right? Yeah, we were, we were the sponsors for um, a big surf tournament that was held at Punta Roca, which is kind of one of the best waves in El Salvador. 
And it's also, it's a, it's probably about a 20 minute drive from El Zante where we're at, but it's a, a, a big coastal city that we're expanding Bitcoin in. So now there's a number of businesses in uh, La Libertad, which is the city that are using Bitcoin. And so we sponsored that surf contest, but we also have become uh, sponsors of the National Surf Federation. Uh, El Salvador has amazing waves and amazing surfing talent, but they haven't really had the, historically they haven't had the resources, the kind of support their, their surfers and their surf team. And El Salvador actually landed the, the final Olympic qualifier for the Olympics this year. So at the uh, first week of June, they're gonna have that event. And so we have come alongside the, the National Surf Federation and we're giving a stipend in Bitcoin to their uh, 10 members uh, monthly so that they can quit their other jobs and just kind of focus on training and hopefully qualify for the Olympics. Um, we wow. actually had a, a very sad thing that, that's kind of come out of that and we're trying to turn it into a good thing. Uh, one, of, one of these very um, talented young ladies, uh, her name was Catherine Diaz, the day we actually signed this accord and had set all this up to, to sponsor the Surf Federation for the next year, she was going out training that afternoon and she was just out of the blue struck by lightning and killed. It was a freak yeah, event. It's, it's not God. even the rainy season there. It was, I mean, just tragic beyond belief. It really just rocked you know, everybody in, in the beach community. Um, but we're seeing the, the Bitcoin community kind of rally around that. And we're, we're actually going to be making an announcement uh, next week. I'm not sure when this will air, but we are, we're doing a big Bitcoin related fundraiser to build a surf training center in her honor, just to kind of honor awesome. her, her legacy, but also to, to make sure that future surfers and current surfers in El Salvador have the opportunities to compete on the world stage that the people other places do. Yeah. And I mean, that was just like a freak accident, right? I mean, that's, I know any lightning strike is, but is there like whenever it, when there's lightning at the beach, I mean, do you have to get out of the water usually or do you? I mean, I usually will just cause you know, you hear about lightning historically on lakes or anything like that, but I've never heard of anybody get hit by struck. lightning surfing. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's happened somewhere in history, but I, it's, it's definitely not a common thing. And it was, nothing anybody was expecting that's for sure and she was going to be competing for the for the olympic she, trials yeah she was going to be competing for the olympic trials and, and was most probably going to be able to go on to the olympics to, to represent el salvador so it was you know just just very tragic to, to see 22 years old just beautiful amazingly talented you know young woman who had amazing impact everybody who knew her just said she she had amazing impact on those around her and so we really want to honor her legacy well that's great I'll, I'll make sure the you know uh time this so that it comes out after that um perfect but, uh, but uh so you guys can announce it through your proper channels but um uh so surfing did you learn did you know before you went there yeah, that's actually how I wound up in El Salvador. Uh, I grew up surfing and um, 16, 17 years ago, a buddy and mine were, were looking to go on a surf trip to Central America. And, you know, I'd, I'd been to Nicaragua and, and I'd wanted to check out El Salvador. So we, we just kind of on a whim booked tickets and went for a couple of weeks and I was just kind of blown away. I've, I've traveled quite a bit, you know, when, especially when I was younger, before I had kids, I think I've been to like 45 countries at this point. And I'd never been to a place where I felt so kind of comfortable as I did in El Salvador. Um, usually when you go to places, either people are like always trying to sell you stuff or you have to feel like you have to be on guard because they see you as a target or in other places there can be even kind of like rude or standoffish. Uh, El Salvador was neither. They were, people were warm. If you engaged them, they engaged you. They weren't trying to sell you stuff. They were just genuinely friendly. And it just felt like a place where, man, this is a place where I could live. And so I called my wife up and said, all right, we're coming back next month to, to buy a place here. So, uh, you know, get your mom to come babysit because uh, we got to get back here and buy something up while it's uh, still cheap. And how did, how did she handle that? Cause I keep hinting at my wife. I'm like, we can move to the beach, you know, we can move to the beach. 
Well, initially we didn't, you know, I didn't tell her we were going to move here. It was a yeah. vacation home. So that, you know, it's much easier to sell your wife on uh, buying a beach <laughs> vacation home than it is saying you're going to move to another country. Um, so she was skeptical at first, but then once she came down, she fell in love with it too. And so it was yeah. kind of a no brainer and yeah, it was, it was a pretty easy sell to her. And how, how do you split about 50, 50 between San Diego and the, and El Zante or is it mainly El Zante? It depend depending on the year. Um, but yeah, that's historically how, how it's been, but, but you know, this last year it's, it's been more and kind of moving forward. It'll, it'll probably continue to be more and more. Um, we have a seasonal business in, in the U S but you know, our, our goal is to kind of move out of that and be more focused on, on the Bitcoin projects and other uh, just opportunities in the Bitcoin space. And mm -hmm. that's kind of where our, our heart is right now. And our love is for the community there. And so, you know, we're trying yeah. to put stuff in place to make that happen. And there's plenty of education, right? Like you, um, you know, for kids, because uh, I mean, I have two young kids. So, you know, thinking about you, have, I think you said something about their schools, like 45 minutes away or so in English, English speaking. Yeah. So initially we, um, we had our kids, there was kind of a local co-op school that there was a couple Canadian families, a couple families that were like mixed, you know, the, the husband or wife was American and married to a Salvadoran, a uh, couple Belgian families and a smattering of other Europeans. And so we, we kind of came together and formed kind of a co-op uh, English speaking school in El Zante. And so my kids would go there, uh, two to three days a week. And then we would homeschool them the other days, just kind of more in the core subjects. Uh, great school, amazing people running it. We, we kind of joked, we called it the, the hippie school because they would, you know, they did gardening and theater and, you know, kind of mm -hmm. focused on those things. And so it was really great because our kids could go get those experiences. They were learning Spanish. And then we kind of still did the more core subjects in-house more recently, as our kids have gotten older, uh, my daughter, when she was a freshman, we, we enrolled her in the American school in the capital city. And it's been an amazing experience. I mean, it's, it's an English speaking college prep school. I mean, I put it up against any of the top prep schools in the US. Um, I think 97% of their uh, alumni went on to a four-year university last year. Like they have mm. this amazing educational opportunities at a fraction of what we would pay in, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit of a drive. It's like 45 minutes for us to, to take them to school. But my son also started there uh, this year. He's in eighth grade. And we've been super impressed. And so there's, there's a number of opportunities like that. There's the American school, the British school. There's also a French and German school. And then uh, an international school and a couple other uh, college prep uh, English speaking schools that have super high caliber uh, education. And we just wanted to make sure for our kids uh, growing up in El Salvador, that they would still have the opportunities to, to go on to university if they chose to. And, and so we've kind of found a way to make that work. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on and I'm really blown away by what you're doing um, down in El Zante, you know, and I, it's just really inspiring. Um, to, to hear about, uh, you know, because I think this is what Satoshi really wanted, you know, um, you know, people argue over, oh, payment system versus store of value. And I'm with you there. And like, I think it can be both. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately, I think this is what he wanted is to, to help people get out of poverty and, and have hope and, and take the power from those few up at the top and give it to everybody. No, I 100% agree. I mean, I think his vision and what Bitcoin is, it's like the the best of, of, you know, it's like a better gold as a store of value and it's a better dollar as a transactional daily use thing. And you put those both together. So why wouldn't you want to be transacting in something that's going to go up in value over time? And why mm -hmm. wouldn't you want to hold all your wealth in something that's going to go up in value over time, but also that you can spend at a moment's notice, that you could send across the world without anybody having to give you permission or being able to block that you could spend 25 cents of, which obviously you can't with gold or any other hard assets. So it really has the best of all worlds wrapped into one. And I think it's just silly that we're arguing about which aspect is better. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think the people of El Sante will tell you <laughs> that it doesn't matter which one, which side you're on. It, it works for everybody. Well, That's I'm going to have to come down for sure um, and, and check this place out. And uh, where can people find you? It's just at Bitcoin Beach on Twitter. Yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty active on Twitter at Bitcoin Beach. We, we also have a website. It's just uh, www.bitcoinbeach.com. Um, I'll admit I'm not the best at, at updating that. So some of the information there might be a little dated, but it does give you a good feel of, of the community there and our team members and all of that. Um, even though I'm the one who's usually giving interviews or the one that, that handles the Twitter account, I mean, 98% of what is happening is done by our team, not my, by me. I joke mm-hmm. that they, they just allow me to, to hang out on Twitter. That's basically all I'm good <laughs> for. Um, they're really the ones picking the initiatives that we support. They're the ones figuring out how to make it work. They're the ones driving it forward and, and using Bitcoin, you know, on a daily basis, even much more than I do. And so um, we hope when people come down that they'll get to know the team members there and be able to see this kind of grassroots impact effort that, that's happening. It's, it's, there's been some people that say, oh, you have some foreigner that comes in and imposes his, you know, idea on this. It's, it's not that at all. Like mm-hmm. I just was the connection point and they have taken this and, and run with it. And it, it's really a Salvadoran effort and it's endemically driven. And so that's, what's makes it so exciting. That's awesome. And, um, and travel wise for anyone that wants to go, uh, is there like a quarantine period? How, there's, there's no quarantine period. You do have to um, get a, a COVID test within three days before arrival. Um, or I believe now they are, um, if, if you are somebody who's been vaccinated and you have proof of that, I believe that also suffices. Um, okay. So, you know, there's a little bit of a hurdle, but it's, it's really not that hard to, to do. And there's no quarantine period or anything like that. You can you can be on the beach and surfing, you know, within uh, an hour of landing at the airport. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Mike, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was great. Great hanging out with you. <laughs>